Welcome, everyone, to episode 213 of Some Like It, Scott. I'm your host, Scott Shelton, and on this week's episode, we're getting the inside scoop on one of the most important stories of the last decade in entertainment with a discussion of the biographical drama about the investigative reporters who exposed Harvey Weinstein's history of abuse and sexual misconduct in Hollywood, she said. But first, Scott, we've had our Thanksgiving dinners. We even got to spend some time together in person watching the USA's nil-nil draw with England last Friday. How are you doing? Are you feeling refreshed after the Thanksgiving holiday? For the most part, I did drive to drive about a little over five hours today back home, which turned into seven hours due to the traffic. So um, I wouldn't say that refreshed is necessarily my current state, but Fair enough. it was uh, it was certainly nice to have a couple of days off there. And yes, we did. Uh, we did hang out. We didn't see a movie as is customary, but um, yeah. I we did, did debate going the... to see the Fablemans. We did almost yeah. go see the Fablemans. I did uh, use the time to catch up on some movies. I did watch three 2022 movies, um, Armageddon yeah. Time, Triangle of Sadness, and The Wonder um, while I was at home. And I mean, I'm just trying to keep up the pace at this point because, um, you know, I, it seems like I've just been seeing a movie every free night um, that I've had recently. I also saw Bones and All last yeah. Tuesday. Um, and then, you know, in the next week, I'm going to be seeing glass onion the fablemans and after sun so the yeah. the pace never stops speaking um, of speaking of movies with sun in the title although different one the sun comes out in new york this week so i'm going to be trying to catch that probably next yeah i haven't heard good things about that one but i suppose based on the strength yeah. of his last film alone he deserves you know at least to give it a chance in terms of florian zeller but yeah i feel like i like also liked the father more than I'm, people generally like the movie, don't get me wrong, but like I feel like I liked it even more than others. So I'm not reading too much into it yet. But yeah, it does seem like it's a little bit more mixed for sure. Yeah, I just if it's as bleak as the father was, um, you know, it's going to be a tough set, I guess, because the father certainly was. Although I, you know, I also thought it was a fantastic, fantastic movie. But um, yeah. maybe to, to be fair, I guess, wonder, the... I guess we'll find out. I, I guess we'll see because I don't know much about the sun. I mean, I, I know like roughly some of like the the like general, you know, premise of the of the film and whatnot. But one of the things that I think was so remarkable about the father was the way that it the way that it was shot, the way that it was made, the way the story was put it together. Was it wasn't yeah. it wasn't the necessarily the story itself that was incredibly compelling. It was the way mm -hmm. the story was told. And so yeah. I do think that. I don't get the impression that that's going to be that it's going to be like innovative, you know, in air quotes, um, the sun is going to be innovative in that same way. So that that may be a point, you know, we're just completely hypothesizing yeah. about the film now because neither of us have seen it. But I'm I could see that being without that extra sort of umph, you know, that X factor, maybe to push it over the edge. Maybe it's too bleak for its own good. But we'll see. I'll, you know, I'll, maybe I'll report back next, this time next week. Yeah, I will say it does feel like maybe we're we're hitting the quota already because, you know, it, it seems like in past years, the movies have kind of trickled out all the way through January, maybe even a little bit into early February. But sure. I don't know if that's really going to be happening from the release schedule. It feels like by the end of like the calendar year, we're going to have seen like mostly everything. I do think yeah, Women Talking might be a, a later release. Um, 
and but you've already seen that of course yeah uh, and then ba- and, babylon, and babylon later. yeah which but that's like the first weekend is it white noise so. you're gonna see white noise though because it's gonna be in a theater near you yeah yes? and it comes out on net yes it, it, i'm gonna be seeing it in two weeks and it comes out on netflix like december 26th or something right like isn't it i knew it was like last week at December. Well, i know i know so glass I, onions the 23rd i don't know when white noise it's is. before the end of the year i'm gotcha. pretty confident so um gotcha yeah, yeah i mean interesting times it is. It's. I mean, it's. It's good to have movies. You know, this many movies to watch, and for them to be mostly be things that I'm interested in. Yeah, I. I always after. The, I mean, obviously, this has only happened twice now, but I feel like after seeing 15 plus movies at the New York Film Festival, I usually feel like, oh well, I've seen like most of the movies. Yeah. Um, this year, and I have seen a lot of them, but like, there's still another new movie. I was like, oh yeah, sure. I haven't seen that. Like, I haven't seen The Sun. I haven't seen Broker. Like I haven't mm-hmm. seen yeah, broker. all these like yeah movie. like Babylon like I, there's obviously like the bigger movies like Avatar Avatar yeah. it's etc like I haven't seen those movies so it's like yeah there's still like 15 20 movies that I haven't seen yeah there's the always more movies yeah probably too many but that's probably a different a different topic for discussion um yeah I don't know that I don't know I don't know if I even believe what I just said so uh, yeah. if they're all good who cares but I mean, well, therein lies the problem. Scott. Yeah, they're not all good, unfortunately. Um, but the question of whether a movie is good is, is what we're going to be talking about, at least one facet of the conversation we're going to be having today about Maria Schrader's adaptation of the real life story. The real life story being written by the New York Times journalists Jody Cantor and Megan Tui behind the investigation of Harvey Weinstein's decades long history of abuse and sexual misconduct spanning almost his entire career as a media mogul in Hollywood. Like the novel and the investigation it's based on, She Said takes the perspective of Cantor, played by Zoe Kazan, and Tui, played by Carrie Mulligan, after the former receives a tip that actress Rose McGowan may have been sexually assaulted by Weinstein. Although McGowan initially rebuffs Cantor's inquiries, she eventually calls the journalist back and describes an encounter where Weinstein raped her decades before when she was 23 years old. Spurned on by these initial stories and rumors of other women whom Weinstein may have assaulted, Cantor begins her investigation, but initially finds only off-the-record confirmations of the film producer's abuse. Facing that brick wall of off-the-record reports, Cantor recruits Tui to help with the piece, and the two begin a now-infamous investigation that ultimately led to the takedown of one of the most notorious producers of independent movies in Hollywood, and spawned arguably the entire hashtag MeToo movement. Scott, I don't remember if this was ever on the podcast, but you openly have talked about your skepticism out of this movie, in spite of the fact that this type of, you know, quote-unquote hard-boiled journalistic biographical dramas a la Spotlight, Dark Waters, All the President's Men, are very much in your wheelhouse. Now, having seen the film, was your skepticism warranted, or can she said be added to the vaunted halls of your journalism movie Hall of Fame? Yeah, um, good question. And you're right that I did. Uh, I was skeptical after seeing the trailers. The trailers were very much made this look like an Oscar bait, you know, a pure piece of Oscar bait, which mm-hmm. is um, not something that I'm interested in and is why I like a movie like Spotlight, which despite winning, you know, Best Picture, I think resists that showiness and artificiality at pretty much every turn. Mm-hmm. And that was not the vibe I was getting from the trailer for She Said. Um, and I will say that I think that that issue is what holds the movie back from being great. I, I do think there is there are moments yeah. of that. 
and actually we'll get into it, but some of the scenes which I think are are actually being highlighted as the standout scenes in the movie did not hit the same for me. I, I actually think they're some of the weaker points. Um, but um, on the whole, I think it's a solid movie, Scott. Uh, I I did come out, I you know, did come out of it feeling relatively positive. Um, some of it is just I love these types of journalism movies. My sure. love procedurals. I love just movies about people doing their jobs. Um, a big fan of, of competent people. Yeah. Um, and so all of the parts of this movie that are just like, you know, doing the journalistic grunt work, making phone calls, you know, going to people's houses, flying across the country, you know, to different countries uh, sure. in at least one instance, just to try, yeah. try to track down, you know, a witness. Um I love all that stuff, you know, it, um, it meeting up in the newsroom, like we have Patricia Clarkson and Andre Brower, who are like the, you know, yeah. higher ups at the New York Times that they're kind of reporting to um, about what's going on with the story. Yeah. All Patricia Clarkson plays Rebecca Corbett and Andre Brower plays Dean Baquette. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I do feel like there are plenty of moments where the movie holds back when it, it could have gone all the way in um, and over the top, which I did appreciate. And I think the the lead performances also are are very good. Um, speaking about Zoe Kazan and Carrie Mulligan, um, Mulligan's is definitely more of the again showy performance. She's she's being campaigned in supporting actress, um, and Kazan is being campaigned in best actress, um, which is kind of a shame because best actress is so loaded this year that I don't really think. Zoe Kazan has much of a shot, but I do think she is the best performance of the film. I think it's very understated. Um, and there's also a moment that she gets towards the very end of the film in the newsroom that is by far the best moment in the movie and um, completely, again, punches through that Oscar Beattiness um, and really feels like a real moment of someone expressing emotion um, that I think is you know, a mm -hmm. very impressive feat for any actor to, to portray. So um, I would highlight her as being the, the standout performance. But Carrie Mulligan is good. Um, you know, every, everyone is, is generally pretty solid. Again, I do have a couple of issues with people who are cast for one scene in this movie, which we can get into. But um, I think on the whole, it is a solid movie. Now, that also raises the question, however, and we even got into this a little bit last week of does this is there a reason for this movie to exist? And obviously it's done extremely poorly at the box office, um, mm -hmm. making only like a couple million dollars, I believe. Um, and yes, I think you can chalk some of that up to the bad marketing for the movie. But I also think there's a feeling that this came out you know th this this story about harvey weinstein happened very recently um you know not not many years ago and the people who would be interested in this movie pretty much know the facts of the story it's not necessarily a situation like spotlight certainly not like dark waters which isn't really about journalism per se but is in that vein but you're talking about stories that it's like a public you know, interest I, type story yeah kind of yeah thing. um yeah that were not as well known and in the case of you know something like dark waters it's like just this crazy thing that like affects everyone uh that you know it feels like nobody has really followed it uh, but but you know everyone pretty much knows the harvey weinstein stuff maybe not all of the nitty-gritty details 
But, you know, I think that's also some of the issue is like, yeah, we know what he did. It was horrible. He's in jail now, right? It's He's going to be in jail for the rest of his life. Um, do I really want to watch a movie that's just going to bum me out with the further details of of what went on? Um, yeah. I think there's that, there's that question. There's also um, a question of sort of this meta element of this is a Hollywood movie, right? About the fact that many people in Hollywood knew that this was going on or suspected that this was going on, you know, involving a major Hollywood producer and nobody did anything about it. Um, And so there is kind of a, just peeling back the curtain a little bit, there is like a feeling of um, self-congratulation that, you know, I think may rub some people the wrong way. I don't know if you listened to the big picture episode, Scott, um, about this, but Amanda Dobbins and Brian Curtis were talking about having gone to one of the screenings of this movie. And at the end of the movie, um, when they showed like the card on the screen about, you know, Harvey Weinstein being in jail now, and everyone gave a standing ovation, um, including a lot of, you know, it's a screening. So there were like a lot of Hollywood people in the room. Yeah. And Amanda Dobbins was saying that it just kind of rubbed her the wrong way because it's like, well, some of these people clapping right now could very well be complicit in all of this. Right. Sure. Yeah. Um, and, and so I think there is a question of does if this story is going to be told on the big screen, does it need to be told in a Hollywood movie? Right. When Hollywood is kind of the problem here. Um, Should it be an indie film like Harvey Weinstein was a producer of? Yeah, I, I really don't know. But um, but in terms of that question, I don't know, Scott. I, I don't think this this movie certainly isn't as, from a filmmaking standpoint, it's not as excellent as something like Spotlight or All the President's Men, right? Which are sort of, I mean, it's, it's in some regard, it's unfair to compare to such high, a high watermark. But that's, you know, when you make a journalism movie, that's what you're going to get compared to, right? They're both best picture winning movies. Um, and, you know, I don't think it comes close to them in terms of the filmmaking. Um, and I also don't know if the actual telling of the story is groundbreaking enough to justify the existence of the movie. Well done, well performed, generally competently executed, though it may be. Um I don't know if, you know, getting a little bit of insight into the backstories of Jody Cantor and Megan Toohey, along with, you know, maybe a little bit of like this newsroom action I'm talking about that people wouldn't know about. I don't know if just those little additions to what we already know make this a film that needs to exist. Um, and so it feels that, like I guess it, that's all. yeah, I was to yeah. Ju- just to quickly dovetail off that and I'll let you finish no, go, go, go for it. I, I do think that one of the problems is that like, and I, I feel like I'm going to get a head, like a head, a head nod from you here. It's like, there just wasn't, there should have been just even more journalism in this movie. Yeah. Honestly. Um, I remember, I think I talked, I can't remember if I talked about this at all on the podcast when I was talking about seeing this at the, at the New York film festival, but I was really down on like the first half hour of this movie. I thought that it like all sort of the things that you talked about with the trailer, I felt like we're really captured in that first half hour. Like you're getting like this after the opening scene, which is kind of like a flashback type scene. It's like set in the pretty distant past. Um, 
shouldn't say distant past. It's set in uh, much early in the in the time relative to the rest of the movie. But everything from there until like when the actual investigation starts is just like nothing really happens. And it just feels like they're really just trying to tell you that like this person's about to take on like a really important journalism story. Spe it's speechifying. Yeah. Yeah. And so I did think that the film managed to recover in the second half. But to what you're talking about, like I, I almost felt like the film didn't really know how to start. And part of that is like, well, how do you start this movie about decades long? abuse about these like relatively public figures not that the spotlight team is like some unknown journalistic group obviously i mean they're a major part of the boston globe but they're not the new york times and they're not two of probably the most famous journalists you know non-political journalists um of the current day with jody Cantor and megan tui because of this investigation so again it's almost like how do you start a story where the people watching this movie like kind of already know who these people are and like maybe you learn that like that Megan Tui has like you know a family or and Zoe because and you know Jody Cantor have a family, but like you're not really learning anything about like yeah Har Harvey Weinstein like sexually abused someone at some point earlier right. on. Like again, like you do have to establish that I guess, but it's like it's not information that's like contextualizes the story at all really. When everyone going in kind of knows what it's about. And, it, and I don't even know if that's like the movie's fault. Like, that's the thing that I really wrestled with in the film is that like some of the things that I can point out and kind of complain about it, just like, let's well, just like kind of the reality of telling the story. Like, this is to the point you were making. Like, everyone kind of knows about the story already. So, like, how do you tell that in an interesting way? And I think it does, it is able to get around to something more interesting in the second half of the film. When the when really sort of that kind of more hard no you know hard edge journalism starts happening, but I do think that it like meanders a little bit in the first in the first half. Yeah. I don't know if you felt that too. Yeah, I mean, I, yes, I will say that when we get more into the facts, which is the second half of the movie that you're talking about, there 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 does come a point where like just the actual facts are so compelling on their own that it just like you can't help but kind of be captivated on a visceral level. Sure. Um, but again, just with, with hindsight and with perspective, it's like, you know, I, I already knew a lot of these facts. And yeah. at the end of the day, again, I don't know that the film is good enough to, you know, justify its existence, like I'm saying. So it, it maybe sounds harsh, but I do think it's a question you have to ask with a movie like this, with it happening, with it coming out so soon after the events in which it's depicting. Um, and though I think it's generally well put together, um, I don't know if it can sort of overcome that other hurdle it has. Yeah. I mean, I guess just to get some of my other thoughts, like, I guess by Hollywood standards, it is a mid budget film. I think it was made for like 30 to $35 million, but honestly, Scott, what did they spend 30 to $35 million on making this movie? The cast, like, I guess. I mean, I guess so. Yeah. But I mean, Zoe Kazan's not that expensive, is she? I mean, if Carrie Mulligan's got an Oscar, but. Yeah. yeah. Well, she doesn't Oscar, have Oscar, one, but yeah. Oscar nomination, yeah. But like, it's, I mean, Zoe she's coming off probably the biggest film of her career with uh, Promising Young Woman. But, uh, but yeah, no, I, Zoe Kazan, I, you know, maybe people know her from The Big Sick or something like that, but I can't imagine, you know. Yeah. She comes yeah. I mean, I mean, we, we are a big fan of her from that movie and, you know, what, uh, the other things that we've seen her in. I liked her a lot in sure. The Plot Against America and some other. What if, Ruby Sparks. Yeah. 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 But, yeah, it's it's like hard to wrap your head around like like 
what did they spend all that money on in this movie? Like it clearly is like well-produced and maybe it's a lot of the locations. Maybe it's like literally paying the New York times to like use their, use their office. If, if that is, I don't actually know if that, if they're using the real New York times office or if they build a set, it looks legit that replicates it. It looks legit for sure. Like maybe it's, you know, on location shooting that they're spending all that money on. But I'm just like, how did you spend 30 million? Like, how did you make this movie for $30 million? Like, I just have no yeah. idea how you made this movie. for $30 It's a good question. Yeah. Um, you know, that's, Annapurna and Plan B, Brad Pitt's company, producing it. So I think that they funded most of it. Universal bought the distribution rights. So yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's just it's just kind of one of those head scratchers about it. Again, I think at the after that first sort of act, the first act of the movie, I it, I it did settle in for me. When you, I think one of the the sort of like switch flipping moments for me was the one of the scenes you're talking about where I believe it's Jodie Cantor travels to several foreign countries to interview potential um, potential uh, like people who were abused by Weinstein. And I do think that that is one of the points in the film where it really starts to turn for turn a corner for me and improve. But going back to one of the things that you were talking about, you're talking about how the, on the big pick they were taught that Amanda Dobbins was talking about sort of like the pat on the back, the self congratulatory pat on the back. It's really interesting because I was actually fortunate enough. My screen at the New York Film Festival was the world premiere of the of the film. So they had mm-hmm. everyone there. And it's a much more New York focused crowd. So it's a much less Hollywood crowd. Most of the actual people who were invited to the movie at the world premiere. Yes, of course, you have all the actors in, uh, in of the film, but almost all of like those original like five or six women. I think like Sans Gwyneth Paltrow had been invited and were there and like basically everyone in the initial article that was published on the New York times was there and it was much, it was a very, it was still congratulatory, but not, it didn't have the same spin that I think a man is talking about. There wasn't necessarily cheering for like that card at the end. And it was much more around. I almost felt like less of like a, Oh, we got him," kind of cheering and more like, you know, you women were able to sort of push this thing over the line. Anyway, that, that's kind of the, the the vibe that I got from from my screening, at least. Yeah, I really liked the performances. I know because, you know, we, we actually, I guess, haven't reviewed that many Carrie, Carrie Mulligan movies on the podcast. Because I don't, but we didn't review Promising Young Woman, did we? I don't even no. remember if we did or not. I don't think so. Um, mm-hmm. And we didn't review The Dig. And I don't even think she's had that many other movies come out since we started the podcast. We um, unfortunately didn't review Wildlife in 2018, which... Um, yeah, I still haven't even seen that movie. I need to having seen that. it now would have been in my top 10 for 2018. Oh. I've actually seen it twice now. And she's outstanding in the movie. That's I feel, the I feel like we really missed it. We really missed that one because that's Jake Gyllenhaal too, yeah. right? So And Paul Dano directed it. Like it's, it, oh, it was a that. big indie movie. I think it was like even A24. But... Um, yeah, that's an excellent movie. Also, you know, like an edu- even going back to In Education, which is one of her, you know, kind of her breakthrough role. Like she's really solid. May- maybe until Promising Young Woman was kind of like a little bit under the radar. But I think people know who she is now. Yeah, I, I will say uh, she's being talked about, I think, for maybe for some of the reasons you're describing as the supporting actress category. It's maybe a little bit easier to break into this year. But I would agree. I do think Zoe Kazan is the stronger performance also agree with you that I'm not, not sure she's going to get any love from the Academy come awards season. Come time. Those nominations get released. I, you know, I have, 
like I, it's just one of those things I just don't know quite what to do with this movie. Like, is it going to get a screenplay, like an adaptation nom, just for like the subject matter? Like, like I feel like that might I be think the best. It, I don't think this movie is going to get anything. Honestly, again, I think the okay. box office numbers have just kind of, kind of doomed it. Yeah, I think I think a lot of it's going to depend on whether Universal want, and Brad Pitt's Plan B and Annapurna want to put a lot of juice behind it. Um, just thinking off the top of my head, like. Universal has the Fablemans. It's a complicated because that's an Amblin movie. Um, I mean, maybe going off of what we're talking about, maybe they do make a push for it because, like, this is the type that the people in the Academy, right, the Hollywood yeah. types are going to – maybe they even feel guilt-tripped into, like, nominating it because, you know, yeah. they – I mean, maybe. They see that they were part of the problem or, yeah. you know, directly or indirectly. It's kind of also just, like – I'm just like I kind of want to see a speech from someone on this movie to like yeah. given to the cat like the people who enabled Harvey Weinstein or like were at least mm -hmm. like you said complicit in Harvey Weinstein like I, I kind of want to just see what like care a McCary Mulligan speech someone who is I feel like pretty outspoken against like that type of crowd like I wonder if she would if she would dig in at all in a speech I don't know uh, as was much Carrie as I Mulligan the one a couple of years ago who was like accusing the academy members of not having watched some of the movies i'm pretty sure that was her that sounds right that, that definitely sounds right yeah i don't know i don't yeah. know she definitely said something she definitely went out of the pocket mm -hmm. on some comment um not necessarily inaccurate but like definitely like went off script on on right, like yeah. your your publicist with talking points um and something like that i can't remember if it was about that or not but anyway back on topic for the film i yeah i really did ultimately come around on this movie i think by the end of it not really quite like it's one of those movies that that confounds me a little bit like i don't really quite know to, like there's just like not much to talk about with this movie is the thing that i that i struck like for me and I, I know that it sounds like you maybe feel a little bit differently about this because i think you were talking about how you're looking forward to talking about it on the podcast and for me i'm just kind of like i'm not sure what there is to say ab about the movie um, but let's talk about the performances. We talked, you know, I really, I really enjoyed Zoe Kazan's performance. Sounds like she was your favorite as well from what you were saying earlier on. Maybe talk a little bit more about why that was like maybe what set, set up, set her apart from, from others. And, you know, I kind of think about comparing Carrie Mulligan and Zoe Kazan just because they are sort of the, I mean, I know one's supporting, et cetera, but they are the two central people in the film that you get the most out of. And I'm curious what you felt like set her apart from. From Carrie Mulligan, maybe. She's just more believable, I think, in the role. Sure. I think, I mean, again, understated, which I really appreciate, but also very believable, both like in the scenes where she's at home with her family mm -hmm. and also, you know, on the job. And they really do a good job of positioning her as like, she's kind of the newbie to this sort of thing, right? Um, Carrie Mulligan, Megatui, has broken the story about Trump that we see at the beginning of the, the film. And yep. so she's kind of the expert on this sort of thing. But Jodie Cantor is kind of um, new to this, like, deep investigation world, it seems. And you can really get that in Kazan's performance in some of these big scenes that she gets when she's interviewing key people. Um, mm -hmm. And there's, like, she has, like, this patience. You can, like, see that she is trying not to say the wrong thing because she's never like been in a situation this intense before. Mm -hmm. um, and so she's like being very careful with how she speaks. 
and being very careful to, you know, make the person that she's talking to feel comfortable and again, do her job, right? Like she, that's part of her job is to get this information out of this source, but also, you know, not wanting to push too hard because on a human level, she understands that this is a very sensitive um, topic, especially for women. Um, and I think you can get that, all of that in her performance, sort of the, the careful line that she's trying to walk. Um, and you can also get, you know, you could start to see the emotional involvement that she feels with the story. Um, and, you know, that's what kind of leads up to that scene that we're talking about, which happens, you know, spoilers, I guess, as much as there can be spoilers for this, but in the newsroom, when Ashley Judd, they really like are needing one more source to, so that they can run the story and it, it will have the credibility that they want. And Ashley Judd has kind of been on the fence about coming forward. And she calls um, Jody there in the newsroom and says that she's going to, um, going to come forward and going to go on the record. And Jody, Zoe Kazan has this moment of like shock and relief and, you know, just letting out all of the emotions that have been um, boiling up inside of her. Um, and again, it feels like very spontaneous. It does not feel like a manufactured Oscar-y moment at all. Um, it, it's, you know, it's outstanding acting in that that moment. And I think puts a bow on, again, what um, is the best performance in the film. I also think Carrie Mulligan is very good. Um, I do think she has some more indulgent moments in the film. There's one yeah. scene that I really did not like where they go out to a bar um, for lunch. <laughs> it's with the two of them and Patricia yeah. Clarkson. Yeah. And some rando dude comes up and tries to hit on Carrie Mulligan. And Harassed. she just starts yeah. screaming. Yeah, yeah, I won't take no for an answer. And she just screams him out of the bar. I thought that was like a really poorly conceived moment of like, almost like an Adam McKay-ish moment of like, you know, really hammering home the point, like, oh, mm -hmm. this is not just Hollywood people, you know, this is men in general, and this is how they, that, that wasn't, that just what, they didn't do a good enough job of establishing that as a thread throughout the movie, of like the broader context of all this. It was more about Harvey Weinstein and everything in Hollywood, and it just felt like a really canned moment, again, for, thrown in there for, strictly for the purpose of letting Carrie Mulligan yell a little bit for her Oscar clip. Um, yeah. And there, there are a couple other times like that too, where she's really, she's really leaning into the like badass, take no prisoners, female journalist type thing. Um, yeah. And I have no doubt that Megan Toohey has some of those characteristics in real life, but. And I have no doubt that Megan Toohey has been harassed in a bar like that before. Sure, like, I'm sure that that has yeah. happened. It could have been based on a real incident, but again, from a, dramatic perspective it just didn't work at all in the movie um yeah i also just quickly on that i did find because i think this ties into one of the things that that stuck out for me is that similar to what you're saying i really found that carrie mulligan it almost got call me crazy here but i felt like she was kind of like chewing the scenery a little bit yeah some, definitely like she was kind of like leaning back she has really like a little bit of yeah. affectation in her performance for sure but I think that the scenes between the two of them together are, I think they're both really good. Like, I think they play off of each other really well. There's yeah. one, it's just, it's really just like a small throwaway moment, but there's a moment when 
they are meeting up to go somewhere and they're both wearing white dresses and they have like a little moment of like, mm-hmm. Oh, this is like funny that we're both wearing white dresses. And then I think one of us Jody is like, Oh, should I go yeah. in and change? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was like, nice. Like I like that. It was like a very human moment. And again, moments like that, I think are where Carrie Mulligan is able to shine. Uh, but there are times when it feels like the movie is like, again, leaning into her getting an Oscar and to, you know, both her credit and her detriment, I guess she's, she's fully going with those moments, right? Like she's getting those, she's, you know, taking those moments and running with them and trying to chew them for all they're worth to your point. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do think there, there's definitely moments, like you said, definitely, definitely moments that stick out for me like that. And I just, again, I think describing Zoe Kazan's performance as the most believable or the more believable in the role. And I think that's the perfect way to describe it. I think she really just sort of slides into the role and there's just something i mean i think it's probably by nature of her just like not being a list in that sense like she is kind of a bit more under the radar she's not carrie mulligan who i know she's done mostly comedies or comedy adjacent films up to this point as well yeah yeah i mean i wouldn't say that about her limited series work i mean she literally had an an alt history series about about nazis um but But i don't think a lot of people know about the existence of that series that's fair no that that's that's a fair point um, I mean, it was pushed pretty hard by HBO when it came out, but that was like early pandemic. Like, people were not looking for a Nazi show in right. like March 2020, I don't think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I do think that it was. It was something she was really able. I feel like she just like she's like a great mom, like she's a great mom, like yeah. industrial, like industrious worker. Like she really nails that for me. She's very I find her very rela- like she comes off as very relatable as when she's when she's acting and i think that that really worked for this movie that is sort of adorned with a bunch of people who i think like ultimately are are probably pretty unrelatable people i mean you think about the like they are journalists at educated well you know well-educated journalists at the most prestigious basically the most prestigious newspaper in the world doing some of the most like quote unquote, like important work in terms of investigative journalism in general at the times. So I think it's like pretty in a lot, like in a lot of ways, these characters can come off as pretty unrelatable. Um, But I think Zoe Kazan is really able to, to bring that element. And part of that is exactly what you're saying is that she, she seems like she fit like seeing her with her husband, with her children, like that is, it really works well for me. And I think that grounds the character very well. Whereas yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, and what you're saying there is something that the movie could have interrogated that would have made it a more interesting movie, probably. Like the the journalists themselves, right? Yeah. Um, and again, comparing it to something like Spotlight, right? They don't necessarily go that route, but they are very much um, looking at the journalist's role in allowing this to have fost- yeah. you know, to have continued over so many years because they find out, you know, right, that, that they had tips. Phil yeah. Saviano has been making reports to the, the newspaper for years and years, and they bury, either didn't didn't write any story about it or buried it on the 12th page or something. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the whole time they're reckoning with their role in the whole thing. You don't really get any of that type of stuff here, um, either about, like you're saying, like their personal backgrounds and how, oh, does that make it, you know, harder to connect to the, maybe the people that they're talking to? Yeah. Um or about, you know, 
did they as the journalist, right? Because you have a similar sort of thing. They call Rose McGowan at the start of the movie and she's like, oh, I've been talking about this for ages. Why are you just now paying attention? And Zoe Kazan's like, well, I'm sorry, you know, that that happened to you. And and I think it's notable that really Rose McGowan, not, not involved in this film at all. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that what you're saying there in terms of that is all, all probably you need to know about it. Um, Rose McGowan, obviously very outspoken person as a part of the Me Too movement but not interested, I think, in maybe one, like one potential perception of this film, which I think is maybe pretty, pretty obvious to see. I'm not super interested in that conversation personally, but um, yeah, I mean, she's not interested. Whereas you're able to get people like Ashley Judd and Gwyneth Paltrow to actually, you know, appear as themselves in the movie. Um, so that's something to think about. Speaking of other people in the movie, yeah, though, Paltrow is, appears as a voice, but yes, sure, okay, yeah, she doesn't she doesn't appear on camera, but um, she did, yeah, they didn't like. I mean, they didn't. The voice of Rose McGowan is not Rose McGowan, I guess is is what I mean. Harvey Weinstein didn't agree to appear either. Interestingly enough, yeah, I was gonna make a joke and just decided to move past. No, it. we're, we're fine, probably we're fine without it. Yeah, 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 we're fine without that one probably. Uh, yeah, the there is a whole host of other people in the cast you mentioned patricia clarkson and andre brower um you know, ashley judd i think puts in a pretty i don't know pretty memorable performance probably because she has the scene that is like the emotional crescendo yeah. of the film no doubt is there anyone else in the cast you wanted to call out or highlight well i want to say real quick about patricia clarkson and andre brower i wanted more of them i think towards the end of the film when they do become more involved like again those were some of my favorite scenes mm -hmm. um but you love the conference another, calls in the boardroom of the time. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's oh, another yeah. thing. And I love Andre Brower just being like taking none of Harvey's BS and like, yeah. um, it, there's a scene where he, Harvey just calls him in his office. Like, actually, I think that's the first time we hear Harvey in the movie yeah. and, um, he, you know, he's just ranting and raving or whatever. And Andre Brower just to? does like, yeah. yeah Andre Brower's like, I forget exactly what he says, but he just says something like, Thank you for letting me know, Harvey. And just like hangs up <laughs> yeah. or whatever. And yeah. just the way he he like delivers it, it was perfect. But again, something it's something else that distinguishes it from a movie like Spotlight, right? Where you have like these characters, like the Lee Schreiber character, right? Marty Baron. You have John Slattery playing Ben Bradley. They just feel so much more fleshed out and developed than these people do. Um, and I, I wish wish that there had been more because they're both you know very very talented obviously like patricia yeah. clarkson she's great and everything um and they were just kind of kind of there when the plot needs them to be there um now getting into it i guess the the main one of the main problems i have which i was alluding to at the beginning mm -hmm. um there are two scenes which are sort of the big scenes, right? Um, where Jody Cantor is, is interviewing to people that were interns, basically, um, working with Harvey Weinstein at Miramax. And one of them is played by Samantha Morton, and one of them is played by Jennifer Ely. So very notable actresses, right? Like, you know, not necessarily people that you hire for one scene unless it's going to be a scene. Um, and that is what the movie tries to to do and i had a bit of an issue with it a lot of people have highlighted these scenes again as being superlative because i think you know jennifer ely and samantha morton are giving very like it you know intense 
well-felt performances. But that's kind of the problem I have, is that these scene, the way that these scenes play out ultimately end up with the two of them giving like long monologues about what their experience was. And then like having these really sort of impassioned calls to justice about what needs to be done um, with writing the story. And Jody Cantor becomes almost sort of a side character. Um, and it, it, they're really showpieces for these actors in a way that rubbed me the wrong way because number one, it's, it's distracting from the actual details of the story that they're telling. And number two, it's because you actually do have like these really capable actor actresses in there. It feels much more performative, right? It feels again, like an Oscar clip, like they're really, you know, seizing the moment for all it's worth and it becomes at least in my viewpoint more about the performer than it does about the facts and obviously it's very important in a story like this that the facts be the most important thing the like details of what actually happened to these women um are the things that need to be foregrounded so again i hate to bring it up again but like spotlight like you look at these scenes like that you look at you know when they talk to phil saviano when they when sasha interviews the guy i can't remember his name but the guy the the gay guy i can't remember what his name is joe something maybe um uh, there's the the one scene that mark ruffalo has with the one one guy those people all feel like real people like they could have been living down the corner in boston right and like you know, they're not like so polished to where, you know, there's a there's an artificiality about the way that they're telling their stories. Um, again, one of the strengths of that movie. And I do feel like they overplayed their hand a little bit here by putting these actresses of, you know, Samantha Morton and Jennifer Ely's capability in these roles and giving them like almost like scenery to chew when it's it's very important that these scenes focus on the actual details of the stories and these are some of the more revelatory moments in the movie and i wish that they had been more about the facts and less about these actors giving a performance yeah i i don't know if i had the same reaction when i was watching the movie but i also yeah, wouldn't I mean, say I they were the highlights of the film i mean for me i think kind of watching watching the film I feel like the scenes that I felt were the most tense and were kind of the highlights. I mean, obviously the films like tense moments are not necessarily going to be the highlights for, for everyone, but I really enjoyed like the multiple interviews that I think it was Jody Cantor both times had with who's the actor who played the guy who, who was like their accountant or whatever. I can't remember off the top of my head right now. Was that, was that Adam? Sh oh gosh. Was it Zach Grenier? It's Zach Grenier. It's Zach. It's Zach Grenier. Okay. He, He's playing the guy who was worried that he was like being followed and was going to get killed for talking. Oh, about yeah, yeah, yeah. Panther. Yeah, that's Zach. That's Zach Grenier. She meets him in the restaurant. Yeah. Yeah. The second their second meeting was in the restaurant. Um, I really I really enjoyed those scenes. And for me, that those were two of the highlights of the film of the film for me. Those were good. And also, I really like the scenes. Of, this is not a victim, but Peter Friedman, who plays like the Harvey Weinstein's representative. Oh, yeah. There's like oh, yeah. a couple Succession scenes. They high, have rise up, baby. Second, second week yeah, in a row he, we're talking succession on here. He was great. I, I really thought those scenes were interesting, right? And again, some sort of like stuff that you wouldn't necessarily know from just reading the the facts of, you know, the story. I that, also think like, the, the, way, the way that they interact with him too, 
Yeah. Because like that is some of the more inside type baseball stuff that makes the film interesting. Like how they're talking and to each other. Watching him like struggle with like how much can I reveal here? A hundred percent. Yeah. Like I thought that stuff was again really interesting, sort of like yeah. practical stuff of like people doing their job. The people on both sides doing their job, right? Because you know, there's there's a, a really good scene between Megan and him, this guy Lanny in the yeah. the lunchroom where she's like, I don't think you're a bad guy, right? Like, yeah, I actually think she probably doesn't think he's a bad guy, and maybe he isn't a bad guy. Who knows? But also, she, maybe she's saying that to try and get the information out of him, yeah. and she does. He's milking the information him. out yeah. of him. So, um, that's, but also, that both things can be true. Interesting to watch. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think the th those scenes for, were also highlights for me. Yeah, the scenes in the rest, the scene in the restaurant, and then the other time that that Cantor met, I think his name was Irwin, uh, was that guy's name. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I thought that, that was some of the more compelling stuff, just from like a journalism, like let's chase down the story perspective. Didn't strike me either way about some of the scenes. Was it Zelda Perkins as Samantha Morton's character, and is it Laura Madden as Jennifer Ely? Um, yeah, th I those didn't like stick out one way or the other for me. I do like the scene, actually, Jennifer Ely. It was actually one of the more heartbreaking scenes in the movie. Like in the, the hospital, she's in the hospital. Character. Well, there's that, but then there, yeah. yes, it's after that, after she's like clearly been diagnosed with like some pretty serious type of cancer, breast cancer, I think. Um, and she's at home with her family mm -hmm. and she has like several children. Oh, yeah. And I, they just start that. like crying, really, because they've just learned about the diagnosis and it's like they're scared. And everything. I thought that was like a it, that's the same thing where really then she gets called by one of her like Weinstein's people. Right. Is that the same? Scene? No, that's that's later. That's a different that's scene. later. Okay. Um, but it's it doesn't really that scene didn't really have anything to do with the rest of the movie. But like in a vacuum, I thought that was like a really that's like the humanizing point. That you're, yeah, I think that's, yeah, that's absolutely the humanizing point, like making this person who I don't know, know that they needed it, but it was well done. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe they didn't need it for like the facts of the case or whatever. But I do think that to your point about some of the things that make a movie like spotlight stick out is like, if you're going to humanize your victims, make them even yeah. make them feel even more real, which is already hard. Cause not only is this a film about journalists who are maybe inaccessible types of people, but it's a, it's a film about journalists interviewing even more inaccessible people, which is like people in Hollywood. Uh, granted, yeah, I know a lot of these women never made it in Hollywood. Like obviously Gwyneth Paltrow, Ashley Judd are exceptions to that. Rose McGowan, yeah. And Liz McGowan. Sorry, not Liz McGowan, Rose McGowan. Rose McGowan. Um, yeah. Um, but people like Zelda Perkins and Laura Madden, like no one knows, like you don't know, like they never did anything mm -hmm. relevant. Um, and I think humanizing the victims and, and almost juxtaposing them to someone like Ashley Judd or Gwyneth Paltrow or Rose McGowan. I kind of think it puts it into perspective sort of lost opportunities. And I think that one of the, one of the more like emotionally grounding aspects of the film is can you connect not just like the direct trauma that Harvey Weinstein is doing, which he is like very famous for now having done, but like the stuff that you can't really feel or you can't really see, which is like the opportunity lost. Um, I think that that's like one thing that spotlight does really well. Or you think about like the, the ongoing trauma that affects people's lives in a really negative way. Obviously, it's a bit different because it's more of like a social setting as opposed to like a workplace setting. Um, and so maybe it's more enhanced for that reason, something like she said. But I think the moments where it can lean into that, maybe it's not necessary. But if you're doing it the right amount or you're doing it tastefully, which I think this film does do when it chooses to do that, it is, I think, quite affecting. And I think it's 
it's a it's a good touch because you know you're especially Laura Madden, who I think is probably because Zelda Perkins isn't even a, I'm if I'm remembering this correct, Zelda Perkins is not even a victim of Harvey. She's just she's friends with Rowena Chu, right? Or whatever, or knew about Rowena Chu. I can't remember if she's yeah, actually. Well, she does. I I think that's right. I I, I can't remember if the, if she also had an incident. She um, might have. I mean, they probably all. But have. yeah, no, she's the one who like Rowena Chu comes to her in the the morning in after the hallway, or whatever, yeah, and she yeah, goes yeah. into the the conference room and like when that's he's right. in there with Scorsese and is like, oh, you yeah. know, come yeah. on, I need to talk to you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, good shouts. Um, I think that's all good. Is there anything else you wanted to talk about the film? I I'm trying to think. Like, there's obviously like the big stuff at the I, end where like the journalism happens, and you know, yeah, you that's what your, I was gonna. Yeah, yeah, I was just gonna add that I really also like. It's a small thing, but when they are actually finishing up the story and they're all standing around the Copy computer and they're like yeah. typing it, and it's like, okay, everyone read it one more time, and like, there's just like a pause, and then. The one that guy. Nicholas Bertel scored. One guy, yeah, yeah, and he's like, "Okay, you you know, send it over." That I, I mean, I feel like that again. That that could have been how exactly how that went down, and I liked watching yeah. that. You're an absolute whore for those scenes. I know you. You just love that stuff. It's, <laughs> it's true. I mean, and and my perspective on the whole movie has to be taken with a grain of salt because sure, I um, I prefer these movies to be like as dry as possible, which I know is not what. <laughs> the majority of people want so yeah it, you you don't care whether it's cinematic or not you just want yeah exactly you want the procedural element the more l documentary like the better yeah. like seriously yeah yeah less law and order type procedural more yeah i don't know invest in, all the yeah more men, hbo I mean, documentary yeah. series <laughs> type sure. for you fair enough all the president's men is like the ultimate example sure yeah they don't make them like they used to, Scott. Where you actually have movie stars, but like you don't, you would never actually recognize them as being movie stars just from that movie. Yeah, that's easier for me to say just because I don't. I mean, Robert Redford certainly a movie star. You know, Dustin and Hoffman Dustin certainly Hoffman, a movie yeah. star, but like they weren't movie stars for me. Like I don't know. I can go, like I watched that movie last year for the first time, and I was like, oh yeah, like I recognize these people, but these aren't like, like yeah. I recognize them like I recognize Oaks. It's not like I've seen them in their prime although dustin hoffman is very good um so is our effort to be fair in that movie although i was thinking about other stuff doesn't matter we'll move on from this uh yeah yeah any other anything else you want to talk about or is that it should we wrap up um yeah i think that's about it i think we've hit the major points okay favorite scene or moment from she said i mean yeah i've kind of, we've kind of talked about a lot of the highlights yeah you we know, have that's true the moment of zoe kazan there in the newsroom was the most real moment in the entire movie and you know the most emotionally captivating one as well um so i think that was good all the like actual journalism being done was good some of the little moments that um jody and megan have together that's the strong points of the film yeah yeah Agreed. I think I talked about mine. Probably either the scene in the restaurant um, between Jody Cantor and Irwin, or one of the conference room where they're on the on the phone with Harvey, um, and and Lanny Lonnie. I don't know how to pronounce Lanny. Name. Yeah, yeah. Um, those were good scenes. So yeah, more of the more of the like again the stuff that you can't just know by reading the newspaper kind of stuff is the stuff that is definitely the stuff that stuck out the most for me and. Going back to what I said at the beginning, one of the reasons why I feel like the, the film turned it around in the second half for me. 
All right, Scott, out of 10, what are you giving She Said? Seven. It's perfectly solid, competently made in most regards. Um, it unfortunately gives way to indulgences too many times. It just doesn't have that sort of filmmaking depth and rigor of something like Spotlight or All the President's Men. But it's an important story. I'm, you know, glad that it was told. I just don't know if we needed the movie to tell it. And if, sure. you know, Jody Cantor and Megan Toohey's actual stories couldn't have sufficed. Well, yeah, a, a good question to ask. I think ultimately, though, more people will probably watch this movie at the end of the day. Once once all is said and done on streaming. Um, yeah, once it hits streaming, sure. Then Rhett read the actual new york times article although everyone's heard about the article and has read like you know whatever new york times morning uh morning newsletter version of the article yeah that there was i'm sure everyone's read it yeah but i'm in the same boat like i think i'm coming in a little bit lower than you 6.7 but i definitely i've warmed up a little bit more on the movie the more distance i've had from it which at this point actually has been quite a bit it's been almost two months since i've seen the movie but yeah it's um it's a film worth seeing like you can there's certainly worse movies out there right now in my opinion and you know if you are a person who's interested in a film in the public interest like some of the movies we've been talking about i think that it gets the job done at the end of the day definitely all right that should just about do it for our discussion of she said we'll take a short break when we come back scott is going to be mounting his soapbox to talk about simu lu versus quentin tarantino and then we'll be recapping the nominations of this year's Indie Spirit Awards. We'll be right back. Welcome back for part two of today's episode of Sun Like It's Scott. As mentioned before the break, Scott has some thoughts on the latest Twitter debate between Simu Liu and old white filmmakers. Scott, please take center stage and defend the old white filmmakers. Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> look, I'm not going to spend too much time on this because it's in some regards, it's not really a news story. However, like yeah. it is something that perhaps you might find even more interesting than a news story because it's sure. drama. Um, yeah. yeah. But it's reality. over on, you know, this is the film Twitter, I guess, recap corner of the week. Um, Quentin Tarantino was being interviewed on Howard Stern's show and he made some comments about Marvel because that's just the thing to do now apparently when you know you're interviewing an esteemed director uh is to ask them about marvel um yeah. and he um basically stated to summarize that um the actors who are in marvel films are not movie stars uh because people are not going to the theater because of them being in it people are going the to characters. the theater because of marvel um which is is I would first say it's not even a criticism, right? Like that is a fact. Well, I think Marvel. I don't know. I don't know if that's a fact, but okay. Well, going. yeah, we don't really have any way of verifying that, I guess. But um, honestly, though, do you not think that Marvel would say the same thing about themselves? Like they are wanting to create this. Oh, brand, sure. Right? I, I think that Marvel where, wouldn't. Yeah. 
100%. You are going to the movie because it is a Marvel movie, and that is the reason why. It's not because Scarlett Johansson or Chris Evans is in it, right? Um, sure. And so I don't even think that was a controversial statement or even that critical, what Quentin Tarantino was saying. Um, however, Simu Liu, who, of course, is the star of Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings, yep. um, he felt differently, um, or at least Marvel slipped him an extra few million to feel differently. And um, he took to Twitter and uh, <laughs> that's a very cynical take. But yeah, go ahead. Well, I know. But uh, yeah. of course, because this is just how you talk about these things, I guess. Martin Scorsese caught a stray um, for the one comment that he made three yeah. years. I ago. mean, Martin Scorsese uh, will perpetually catch strays on yeah. this topic because he's the OG yeah, I, public. He really hater. started the discourse around. Yeah. It. And I, I guess I, I've probably, you know, made my penance before, but. At the time, I think maybe we were not as we were perhaps a little more mixed about Scorsese's comments, uh, probably because they came at a time when Marvel was Marvel actually movies were doing good. Yeah, we're doing interesting stuff with their movies. Um, now, with hindsight, of course, he was right. He's always been right. And we should have known that. But um, remind me exactly. I, of course, I remember exactly what Scorsese said because I have a perfect memory, Scott. But remind our audience what Martin Scorsese actually said. He's, that was yeah. That he stated people. that Marvel films are not cinema and that right. they are theme like theme park attractions, basically. Sure. Yeah. Um, that was the gist of what he had to say. But anyway, Simu Liu tweeted that Martin Scorsese and Quentin Tarantino are gatekeeping who was a movie star, and if they were in charge of who became a movie star. No one who looked like Simu Liu, who of course is Asian, um, would have ever become a movie star. Um, brain dead take, um, it must be said. Uh, as many people pointed out, um, Martin Scorsese created the World Cinema Project, which has done yeah. a tremendous amount of good. I mean, to basically the only reason why Hong, you know, East Asian cinema is even yeah. available and easily in the United States. And Quentin Tarantino as well has was very vocal um, in his praise of people like Wong Kar Wai and Bong Joon Ho. So much so that Bong Joon Ho even thanked both Scorsese and Tarantino in his Oscar speech when he won for Best Director. Um, to be he fair, thanked both of them specifically. Yeah. To be fair, not he's not. They're not casting Bong Joon Ho in their movies. To be fair, which I think is Simu Liu's point. But yeah, however, again, there's really no issue there either. Um, um, Quentin Tarantino has made plenty of movies. Um, well, with has black made stars, multiple movies. Sure. Well, yeah, we're with black stars, with black female stars. Um, you think about something like um, the Kill Bill films, which were like direct odes to Asian martial arts films, like drawing from them specifically. He cast Sonny Chiba in the move in the, you know, in Kill Bill One, who was a star of many of those movies, um, and other people like that. Um, he, you know, has been influenced very heavily by black exploitation films. You see that in something like Django Unchained. Um it, if you are going to call out two directors for, you know, gatekeeping and not having diversity in their films, two white directors. He basically picked two of the worst people he could pick. I think that's. Well, I don't know if that's true about. I mean, I don't know. I I like both these directors. I don't know that Martin Scorsese has a strongly diverse cast of people in the majority of his movies. I understand that he's doing other work. I understand that he's doing other work for other types of cinema, but he is not generally casting diverse people 
in his movies. Yeah, but uh, the point is, people like Martin Scorsese are not the problem, um, like Simu Liu would make them out to be. Um, and sure. I don't think it's it's a case of Martin Scorsese not wanting to cast these people in his movies or not, not feel, making feeling like they're not people. movie stars. Yeah, exactly. He's he's making movies about making, stuff that he's more familiar with. Now, he did make something like Kundun, right, which is, which does feature a lot of POC actors in it. But um, yeah. I, I think the point is, though, that like these are white filmmakers making movies about white people for the most part. And it's not that they're yeah. maliciously like not making films about about people of color. It's just that that's not the movies they're interested in making because they're not people of color. I think that's like more the point that that Simu Liu is making. I suppose. But again, to accuse them of gatekeeping, which is what he did, is mm -hmm. really kind of a brain dead take. And um you know, again, it it comes from a place of it's, he's just there's no need for him to get as defensive as he did. That's true. Um, I think that's it's true. number one. It's obvious that he feels insecure about you know that Marvel movies aren't as good or aren't taken as seriously as. Um, I think there's plenty of reason to feel insecure about that. Yeah, yeah, as a Scorsese or a Tarantino film. That's that's part A. You can just see that um, at the Oscars. I mean, it's not taken as seriously as other types of movies. Yeah. Part B, and this is like the, the reason why I think it's worth bringing up, is it is concerning to me to see this type of thing happening, to see these types of statements being made. Mm -hmm. Because it's like, look, I've accepted at this point, right, that Scorsese and Tarantino movies are not going to be the big tent poles or anything. Like, it, I, I have accepted that Marvel, like, and these big IP related movies are have saturated the market. And in terms of looking at theaters going forward, they are going to be the primary things that we're going to see in theaters for the foreseeable future. You got to tell um, Scorsese to stop making, stop making streaming movies then. Well, yeah, that that's true. But I, this is, goes beyond Scorsese, like just to yeah, in, yeah. independent and prestige movies and all that in general. Yeah. Um, and I've accepted that. I've, you know, it's fine. You know, the, the each, each, you know, group has their lane that they can mm -hmm. be in. Now, Simu Liu, seemingly for no reason, he's got plenty of money. These movies are doing extremely well. Like, there's no reason for him to even care about what these people are saying. And there's no reason for Scorsese and, and Tarantino to care about, you know, Marvel, Marvel except that they get asked about it in every freaking interview because. Yeah these these reporters know that these these, are, these are the guys refusing to make marvel movies yeah yeah um but now simu liu is like coming for those other films right it's not enough right that that marvel is dominating theaters is going to have the you know top grossing movies of a given year and that simu liu is probably taking home a nice paycheck he also has to like come after these directors and use the large following that he probably has on social media by virtue of being in marvel films and like weaponize that against some of our like greatest living filmmakers um and that is that is the part which you know does not give me a lot of hope for the future of of movies if this is how we're reacting towards people whose contributions to cinema and film have you know have been you know, beyond what we can even express are being dismissed as out of touch, old white people, you know, identity politics type of stuff. Um, and that's all that these people who are following Simu Liu 
maybe who haven't even seen a Tarantino or Scorsese movie, that's what they're going to associate them with. That's where I have a, a real issue and just why I felt the need to to bring it up because it's something we're going to continue to see. And again, we, we have a lot of conversations on here about the future of theatrically released movies and what is what are we going to be able to see in theaters in five, ten years from now? Like, is there going to become a point where it's all IP stuff and everything else is going to streaming or like to art house theaters and, you know, AMC and Regal aren't aren't playing the types of movies that we want to watch um or in a much more this, limited capacity yeah yeah and i think i mean like again we're talking about this stuff like armageddon time is a movie that i just watched while i was at home james gray's latest movie i that the that movie played in theaters for me for a single week and i was not free that week i had things going on other nights so i missed the movie because i was free not free one week like that should not be happening like um and I do feel like, you know, we're reaching a point where, or we're moving towards a point where it's like, you know, maybe it's, it's a week now. What if it is two, three days, right? What if it's a weekend in the future? Um, what if we give these movies two, three days, even, you know, it's a bit of a different situation because of the whole Netflix thing, but like even something like knives out, right. Which would have, which as a lot of people are saying would have made, could, it, it seems could have made a lot more money than it is going to make because Netflix is only putting it in theaters for um, a Seven week. days. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I got into a nice Twitter debate with Mike Kalinowski about this, actually. Yeah, I did <laughs> see day. that. Um, oh but, God. you know, that it, it's going to be making a lot less because it's sure. being owned by a streamer. I mean, my response to that is that filmmakers who care about this stuff have to stop taking their money. Like, that's I my, like, firmly I agree with that. Yeah, no, 100%. And then I feel like this is the whole point of what I was, like, Mike Kalinowski is trying to say that, like, we have to blame Lionsgate for yeah. Knives Out 2 only being in theaters for seven days. I'm like, Lionsgate? How are you blaming Lionsgate in this situation? Like, I don't really care whether Ryan Johnson gets paid $200 million or not. Like, great for him if he's getting the bag. Like, I don't care. That's great. Great for him. But, like, if and you're blaming anyone, it's you blame him. He took the money. And Tarantino, like, is somebody who I don't feel like is ever going to sure. make a movie for a streaming service. And our he, Lord and he Savior, has our Lord like and Savior the, Chris Nolan is going to be there, too. He, Yeah, exactly. He has, like, a freaking one of the most notable theaters in California where they show every single movie on film, like, is Quentin Tarantino's theater. So I don't think we have to worry about him making a movie for Netflix. But even Scorsese is making a movie now for, I mean, he made The, the Irishman, and now yeah. he's with Apple making Killers of the Flower Moon, so. I think there's a decent chance that Apple gives a, a significant theatrical release to that sure. movie. Although I guess we'll see. We'll and I got see. to see the Irishman in theaters. So. So, yeah, same. I was privileged enough to get to see it in theaters as well. Although the seats in that movie theater were terrible. Oh my God. It was like some one cinema art house type thing. It was like, it's like piano mm -hmm. benches. They had just like awful three and a half hour. It's like movie the one experience. in Chattanooga that we went A hundred percent. It is that way. And I sat on those damn things for 210 minutes. It was awful. Um, <laughs> it was legitimately one of the worst seating that's experiences rough. I've had in a movie. Um, anyway, that's not, neither here nor there. Um, Davis Square. Goddamn. Um, but yeah, you, you, like Scorsese needs to stop wanting to make a $200 million gangster movie. Like he just needs to stop doing that. And like knives out, I don't like glass onion. I don't know what it actually cost, but T Street got paid four hundred and fifty million dollars to make two knives out sequels. 
which is like twice as much as Lionsgate was willing to offer. And of course, Lionsgate can't pay $225 million right. plus marketing for a Knives Out movie. The first one was a huge success, but it only made $300 million at the box office. Yeah. Like, it's not profitable. Um, granted, I don't think anything Lionsgate's putting out is that profitable, but they can't, they can't make that kind of bet the, on a movie. The point is, here's one of the rare original, yeah. you know, movies for adults that could actually do numbers in theaters, could still do numbers post-pandemic. 100%. And, and it did this week. We're getting one 100%. week. 100%. And yeah, and it, it, it did did numbers in that one week, but, you know. Yeah. What is I mean, I think, that, I think that's rough because it's a place where, like, if someone's offering you an obscene amount of money for your work and is giving you complete creative freedom, why wouldn't you, you just that, take man. their money? Like, I, I totally get that. But, like, at the end of the day, if you, like, you have to, like, not take the money in order to make this to make this work uh yeah i i uh i hate to put all of this on greta gerwig but i just because i was listening to her interview today with dua lipa on dua lipa's podcast which everyone should check out it was good um but i feel like a movie like barbie next year she, yeah it is ip right but like it's a studio movie and she claims at least that she's been given creative control now, i feel like it could be like the last stand for are we actually going to get to see you know, are, are these movies going to be able to make money going forward or I mean, I still see like, that as an it's an IP movie. I guess it's it like, is. I yeah. guess it is. And they probably want to make it a franchise. I, I it just it just feels different with like Margot Robbie and Greta Gerwig attached and everything. But Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't think there's I mean, I don't want I don't know, actually. I don't feel like Greta Gerwig would sign up to direct multiple multiple Barbie. Movies. The, I, I the greater do that. the bigger question is, are we going to be able to see people like Greta Gerwig? or chloe zhao be yeah. able to work within if this is where our movies are going to be going in the future like if this is the trend we're going towards as far as theatrical movies are we going to be able to see them work within this these studio constraints and make something that is still satisfying and but it's not like greta unique. Gerwig's making original movies though like she's making ip movies i mean little women is like literally one of the most famous books of all time sure but Again, what she is doing with it feels like completely. I mean, it her stamp is all over that movie, and and one hundred percent. But I think that's what it. Yeah, I mean, Lady Ladybirds is original, of course. But like, I don't know what she's doing. Do we know what she's doing after Barbie? Like, I just feel like that's how you're going to be able to operate in the studio spaces. You make you if you can like twist some IP into being your own. And that's the big question. Like, you, I don't know how much you're able to do that with Disney. Um, yeah, I mean, Chloe Zhao wasn't able to do it, in my opinion. But yeah, I think she might have just made a bad movie. Unfortunately, Scott, I think that we might have to just accept that that was her. That was a bad movie. Yeah, I mean, it is. A, it is a very bad movie. Yeah, but yeah. I, and I'm sure I, I, she's not completely innocent. But also, having seen the other three films that she has made, I can't imagine that the studio did not have some role in that. But anyway, that's a whole separate topic. I mean, no one put a gun to her head and says she had to direct that movie um at the end of the day again to your point yeah. she's taking the money which i understand but barry yeah. jenkins is taking the money to direct the lion king but um sequel the lion king sequel <laughs> no one no one is innocent again except sure. for maybe somebody like chris nolan or tarantino but um yeah spielberg maybe i don't know <laughs> i don't know after ready player anyway, one maybe you're not and maybe you're not innocent after ready player one <laughs> Not going to go on about it, but I did feel like, I mean, it's it's something relevant that's happening. It's a relevant yeah. conversation that was happening. And 100%. And, th and that's does. where I'm conflicted, right? Like, 
Mm-hmm. I want people like Ryan Johnson to get paid. Like I want them to get paid. But what does that mean for the distribution of movies? I don't know. Can't we all just be content with the hundred million dollars that Lions story, offered? Simu yeah. Liu, please log off. Yeah, that's probably fair. I think I think we can all agree that like stop asking Scorsese likes whether what they think, think of Marvel movies and they're not going Marvel to. actors don't respond. Just stop. It's okay. Again, no yeah, you you have plenty of money. They are not what Scorsese and Tarantino say is in no way going to impact your you know, the, how well Marvel movies do and therefore how much profit you end up making. Yeah. If you really are that insecure about, you know, your movies and your career being taken seriously, then go do mo- do go do some serious movies. Like, don't just simply take the paycheck. Like, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, 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 I don't know if Simu Liu can simply just go do another movie because, I mean, he was a nobody, right? But I do think that Look, it's okay. Like, also, Simulu, like, you're not a movie star. You're still not a movie star. I don't know yeah, what to tell you. <laughs> and but the, and that's the thing. Like, Tarantino is not saying that he's not a movie star because he's a bad actor. Yeah. Which yeah. It seems to be, like, how Simulu took it in some regard. Hey, he's I'll saying that. Scott. Simulu is in Barbie. So. That's true. He's, that's true. he's doing he other is, movies. Um, yeah. But he's saying it, again, because of his of, in my opinion correct uh you know conclusion that people are going to see these movies the not idea. because simu Liu is in it but because of the brand and that doesn't just apply to marvel that applies to you know most franchise movies sure. nowadays yeah no i mean i guess that's the question right like do people go see the batman because of robert pattinson some people yeah. probably did but yeah. I, but those people are probably just like people who, again, are more like us and yeah, follow yeah. actors more closely than we follow IP. But how how much is That's that the, yeah. the average moviegoer? Not at all. Well, Scott, what a relief! We kept this very brief. An absolutely <laughs> huge weight off my off my chest that we kept this one brief. I think no, I thought it was a good conversation. Yeah. I thought it was a good conversation. Um, love cinema. Huge fan. All right. We also have Independent Spirit Awards nominations for this year. Scott, it was announced last week. They're something completely different. Yeah. No. <laughs> Next up, um, Independent Spirit Awards. You see a lot of movies that some of them get Oscar love, but most of the time you're seeing stuff that you will not see on the stage at the Academy Awards. Everything, Everywhere, All at Once led the way with eight nominations. Tar was second with seven. I think those are two movies you probably will see at the Academy Awards, to say the least, Scott. But they took home the most nominations. And then after that, you get into Fair that I think is going to be more scarce um, at the Oscars. Stuff like After Sun getting five nominations. Emily the Criminal, The Inspection getting four nominations. So stuff that may be less likely to be seen um, you know, on the, big, on the big stage come Oscars time. But it's got the nominees for Best Feature, Bones and All. Everything, everywhere, all at once. Our Father, the Devil, which is not a movie that I'm familiar with. Um, Tar and Women strong, Talking. Uh, what did you What did you think of these Best Feature nominations? Yeah, Our, Our Father, the Devil. I think it's like a French movie or something. But um, that sounds right. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I didn't. know. It doesn't even have a Wikipedia page. <laughs> Come on, yeah, um, incredible. 
you know, I'm not surprised to see everything everywhere all at once in there, right? Like, not only is it probably the favorite to win this, it's, you know, running in the top two or three for the Oscar for Best Picture at this particular moment. Um, it's not my favorite movie of the year. It probably won't even be in my top 20 of the year. But, like, I've accepted that it's going to be nominated. And it is a good movie. Um, yeah. Tar, obviously one of my favorites of the year. Very happy to see that get nominated. Women Talking, I've yet to see. But I think I'm going to enjoy it. Um, and then, yeah, Bones and All um, is a movie I feel pretty conflicted about. because. Oh, man, we didn't talk about Bones and All, did we? I do think it is very well made. Crunch. But um, it is just a lot. Um, and I felt the same Scott, way you got to tell the story about the guy in front of you in this in this movie when you saw it was a, it. It was a girl, actually. But, oh, it was a um, woman. Okay. Yeah. There were three teenage... It was three teenage... Well, not teenage or college age, probably girls sure. who had come Young in. Young adults. Obviously, they were obviously there to watch Timothy Chalamet. Like that was a movie star, Timothy Chalamet. Yeah, a yeah. 100% a movie star. Yeah. Um, and, you know, obviously we're not fully prepared for what they were in for. Made it to the end, but then as she was walking out... Hurled. Yes. I mean, the last uh, scene... Not not it goes pretty hard. I was, but uh, it does, yeah, yeah. And, and I was gonna say I felt the same way about Suspiria, which was Guadagnino's previous film. Um, sure, I think he just needs to rein in some of his excesses a little bit because I think <laughs> some of that stuff sure. distracts from what he is actually trying to do, like dramatically. Um, He's there for the genre, and I do man. Think, I don't know what you're talking about. I do think there are plenty of you know, again, compelling moments. I think both Taylor Russell and Timothy Chalamet are really great in the movie. I think Mark Rylance is not great for me, but um, I've been the minority on that. Yeah. He obviously well, is a gifted, both, but that's fine. gifted director, but, you know, I've just, I've struggled a little bit. So I, I, I guess I'm not thrilled to see that in there. I think there are better films. I mean, after Yang, for example, was nominated for best director, but not for best picture. Even Emily the Criminal is, you know, is more of a genre-y movie, but I loved that movie. It, it's one that I have been trying to really talk about um, because I don't think a lot of people know it's out there. And I think, um, you know, obviously Pearl and X I loved as well. Again, not, not necessarily you would expect them to get in best feature, but um, as far as the best feature category goes, I definitely want Tar to win. I think it's easily the best film out of those, um, of the yeah. ones that I've seen. Um, After Sun, obviously I haven't seen yet. I do think I'm going to love it. That's another movie that, just from what I know, might have deserved it more than Bones and All. Yeah, going quickly to the best director category before we do talk, start talking about some performances. There's a lot of overlap. Todd Field nominated for Tar. You know, the, uh, the the Daniels nominated for Everything Everywhere All at Once, Sarah Polly for Women Talking. But then you mentioned Koganata gets nominated for After Yang. Love to see it, Scott. We love to see it over here. Mm -hmm. um, and then Helena Ryan gets nominated for Bodies, 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 which is sort of your token horror movie, token genre horror movie in into the category. Um, you know, you could have, I guess, put something like X or Pearl in here yeah, as I, well. I was going to yeah, I was going to say, it's nice to see her get recognized. However, I do feel like Ty West for, you know, the two films, for, for making the two films, right? Um, sure. Maybe deserved a little bit of recognition for, like, the collective achievement, if you're going to nominate somebody for, like, a genre. Like, if he dropped the third movie, Triple L, what is it? What is it? Is it uh, Maxine. What's it? Maxine, yeah. 
Uh, it could have been the the Perlogy. You could have been nominated for the Perlogy. I mean, it is going to come out, but not this year. Yeah, I know. They haven't. Have they shot that one yet? I did they don't shoot all think three? So. Okay, no, they didn't I, shoot all three. Yeah, I don't know. Okay, that's fine. But anyway, good for Helena Ryan. That's yeah. you know for it being your. Uh, it's your first. It's her. It was her first. Was it her first film? Uh, I don't remember. <laughs> maybe not because it's not nominated for best first feature. So yeah, I think yeah, I think she, maybe I think she she'd made some non-English film. language films. Before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think we can all agree, Koganata for this category. We stand. Okay. God bless. All right, Scott. The Indie Spirits are are one of those. Or Todd Field. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but we're going. We're voting Koganata, and then we got we yeah. got Tar in best feature. Tar for we best can, feature. We yeah. can give it for everyone here. the wealth. Yeah. Yeah. Um, speaking of. Not well. Speaking of spreading the wealth, kind of the opposite, I guess, is what they're doing in in the acting categories. They're cutting down categories. Scott, there were four categories for action for acting um, before. There are only two now. They're one of the award shows that are combining male and female categories all into one, and we have the same number of nominations. Although maybe they are not a five-five gender split, as you will see momentarily when I read off these nominations for best lead performance. You have Kate Blanchett for Tar. Not surprising at all. Um, we were just talking, you were just talking about After Sun, Paul Mescal nominated for that, Taylor Russell for Bones and All, Michelle Yeoh for Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, stuff that's a little bit maybe less buzzed about, uh, Dale Dickey from A Love Song, Not again, not a film that I'm familiar with personally, Mia Goth from Pearl, you were talking about her, I think that's probably uh, something that you'll want to highlight in a second, I guess, uh, Aubrey Plaza from Emily the Criminal, a movie that you're just talking about, Jeremy Pope, which is who starred in The Inspection, a movie that I saw. It was the closing night film at the New York Film Festival. I really liked this film. I really liked this performance. I know you haven't seen that movie yet, Scott, but I would definitely highly recommend it. I think that it is a film that is much less interested in the politics of what you might think the film is about, um, which I think is what makes it such a compelling feature. And then Andrea Riseborough for the film To Leslie. I think that covers all 10 nominations, Scott. Any, any highlights here for you? Well, I do want to say that you know, with the Gotham Awards, we talked about how they did this thing with, you know, best lead and best supporting performance. And yep. it kind of didn't really make any sense because. They saw um, five and five, right? Yeah. And then like six and four in the other one. However, they have eight women. Yeah. And they got They went here. off. Yeah. Yeah. So, which I think is, is correct. Like just from looking at my personal list at this point in the year there have not been that many standout lead actor performances and there have been a lot, a lot of standout lead actors performances. Um, so I think to me, at least that adequately reflects the, that accurately reflects the, the divide that I've seen this year. Um, and I haven't even seen either of the two movies that the actors are nominated for. Yeah. Uh, Paul Mescal and Jeremy Pope, but yeah, but yeah, I mean, obviously Kate Blanchett is just like a tour de force um, performance. Mia Goth, I'm thrilled for her because she's not going to get any recognition at any other award show, probably. Um, but for both of the movies, but especially for Pearl, like that is one of the most talked about performances of the year and like most show stopping performances of the year. Like, um, you know, you, you want to talk about somebody who rightfully owns the screen. That is her. And like, I don't know what else you want an elite performance if it's not that um it's just that the movie isn't being taken seriously unfortunately um and aubrey plaza is the other one i want to shout out because yeah i loved her in that movie um it's definitely one of the best 
qualities of that movie, which I really like in general. But her performance is, I don't think anyone else could have, could have played that role. Um, I think she was perfect. And um, again, won't be recognized anywhere else probably. So it's nice to see her getting recognized here. Andrea Riseborough, I haven't seen that movie, but I am always a fan of her. Um, and Taylor Russell, I like I said, I did think she was very good in um, Bones and All. And Regina Hall, sorry we didn't mention her, but yeah, oh shoot, she yes, was, Regina Hall, yeah, she was fantastic um, in Hong for Jesus, Jesus Save Your Soul. Definitely one that is going to possibly be in my top five for the end of the year. It's swirling around there, um, but she she was excellent and deserves that recognition as well. Save room for a couple of the Navi in Avatar: The Way of Water, right. of course. And in all seriousness, Babylon as well, because that'll probably that might be cracking your list. Um, anyway, yeah. So lead performance there, supporting performance, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis for everything, everywhere, all at once, um, as well as Kihue Kwan um, from that film as well. Brian Tyree Henry from Causeway, a film that I watched a couple weeks back on Apple TV Plus. Um, Jennifer Lawrence is also in that movie. Solid, solid film. Um, glad that we got justice for Brian Tyree Henry, who has just been yeah. in a slew of either terrible movies or under under repped roles, I'd say. Um, Nina Haas is sort of the supporting actress who gets recognized from Tar, although there are a couple that could have been called up. Brian Darcy James from The Cathedral, Trevante Rhodes from Bruiser. I didn't even, I thought Bruiser was a movie that came out last year, but maybe that's a different movie. I don't know. Um, Theo Rossi, also from Emily the Criminal. Mark Rylance, they got the wrong person from Bones and All in the supporting category. Jonathan Tucker from Palm Trees and Power Lines, and then Gabrielle Union from the Inspection Scott. So they sort of flipped the script here. They went mostly men. I think yeah. seven seven men here in this category. I guess they're they're taking their leeway with the with the gender splits, which I I think is probably a good thing. I guess that's what the whole point of it is. Yeah, I mean, again, I don't, I don't agree with it just fundamentally. So, sure, uh, you know, but if you're going to do it, I guess you know you need to justify doing it, and this at least does do that, I guess, until people actually start paying attention and are like, "Hey, only three women got nominated, or whatever." They're silencing women, and then we're back to square one. Um, but anyway, um, yeah, no, I mean, there's some definitely some good performances in here. Nina Haas was great in Tar. Um, sure. Kihei Kwan in Everything Everywhere All at Once. Theo Rossi, yes, absolutely. I, I did not, even with Emily Criminal, Emily the Criminal getting the recognition that it did, I did not expect to see his name in there. But I am, uh, I'm really thrilled that he got in there because as much as, you know, you think of that movie as being Aubrey Plaza's, I mean, she is Emily the Criminal. Um, yeah, he is, is a really... Literally. He is a really important character, and I think they are really great together, and I think he's as believable in the role as she is. Um, he plays the person that she the other um, partners up with and yeah. also becomes like romantically involved with, uh, and I thought he was really strong. Um, Aubrey and Theo's yeah. in uh, in media in 2022. Isn't Theo James? Is it Theo James? Who's in yeah. White Lotus? But yeah, but he's... he's that's Theo James doesn't play her husband in White yes. Lotus. He plays the other husband, but yes. And you don't know where um, it's going. There might be some action there later in the season. That Probably is true. Um, but we'll see. And then, yeah, you have people like Brian Tyree Henry, Brian Darcy James, um, who I'm definitely a fan of. I haven't seen the films that they're in, but I always love seeing their names pop up here. And Mark Rylance, obviously, yeah, he did not deserve that over 
Timothy Chalamet. I mean, Mark Rylance doesn't have a scene where he sings Lick It Up by Kiss in the movie for one. So, I mean, Timothy Chalamet deserved the nomination based on that alone. Cra- crazy because because I will say Mark Rylance does a lot of licking it up. Um, and he does, in yeah. He's basically playing Simple Jack, though. And uh, yeah. I, yes. I much preferred the sort of weird jittery performance that Timothy Chalamet was giving. Um, I thought it was far more interesting and less one note. Yep. Those are the, sort of the recognized performances, but there's also the breakthrough category, Scott. This is something that the Independent Spirit Awards does. They have like a first feature for both actors and directors. Um, and I guess film, I don't know, like because best first feature, I guess it goes to the movie, not the director. I don't know if they have it for for feature films as well as for act, actors in the acting category. You have sort of the other main star from After Sun, Frankie Corio. You have Stephanie Hsu from Everything Ever All at Once, which I guess is like a breakthrough performance. I don't know, like she's been decently big and um, marvelous. Mrs. Marvelous Ms. Maisel. Yeah. Like she's like a pretty main like she's a definitely like a main cast character in that <laughs> show. So I guess that still qualifies. And then. I think people from movies that I don't think any either of us have seen. Um, Garcia Filipovich from Marina, Lily McInerney from Palm Trees and Power Lines, and then Daniel Zagardi from Funny Pages, which is a movie that I really should have gone and seen. The A24 pushing, movie, yeah. Yeah, they, they were pushing it really hard at Lincoln Center. Palm Trees and Power Lines was a Sundance movie that like I for, oh, completely right. for, forgot existed until it showed up on this list. Paul, Did Paul see that? Did Paul see Palm Trees and Power Lines? I think he did, yeah. I don't think he didn't like it, did he? I, I don't think, think it's so. a different movie. No, I don't think he liked it. Anyway, yeah, Frankie Corio, you haven't seen it yet. She's great in After Sun. Yeah. Um, I mean, Stephanie I did she's watch great in vi- everything ever all at once as well, but I did watch a video of her and um and Paul Mescal the other day. Um, and yeah, she seems delightful. Yeah, I went there was like an after ironic, sorry for the pun, after party to, for the after sun screening that I had at Lincoln Center and she's you know she's just like a 13 year old she's like sitting in the corner on a chair on her phone the entire time just like she's <laughs> just like on out. TikTok um it was pretty funny uh whereas like you have um you have the director whose name is escaping me Charlotte, Charlotte Wells, Wells who's like talking you know talking with everyone at the reception and stuff like that and then there's this little You didn't talk to her? Uh I did briefly. I didn't really oh. say anything. I mean I just like congrats just like said that I liked her film a lot and it gave me a lot to think about really enjoyed it but i mean nothing special like it wasn't it wasn't a notable yeah. attraction you didn't have a heart to heart uh we did not no i think the film is a, is enough heart to heart probably for her and everyone who sees the film for for one interaction you look like Was, did decision for did decision to leave not qualify for indie spirit awards because it what, didn't get nominated qualifies for, you for indie indie spirit awards was it not indie enough? I, I don't really know. But it wasn't even nominated in the Best International Film. So that's what makes me think. I don't know enough about the qualifications for uh, for movies. But, you know, there's I mean, a different Korean movie it was, it was international film. Didn't Neon distribute it, too? Yeah. I don't. Again, I don't know what, how it qualifies you. But I think there's a different Korean movie in the category, Return to Seoul. So that might have been what was. I don't know. Again, like, I don't Which know if I've it's like the Oscar story. very good. Yeah. I don't know if it's like the Oscars where you have to put forward a movie from your country. I just like don't know how the qualification works. So I'm like, maybe. yeah, I, I just think like if you're, if we're getting our father, the devil is getting recognized. Like I would think that a Park Chan Wook movie could get recognized outside of just the, whatever the submission rule is. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Park Chan Wook too mainstream. 
Sorry. I guess so. <laughs> it might have to do with the budget of the film, honestly. I don't I don't know. I don't know what qualifies you for like indie spirit awards like recognition. Um anyway, also speaking of breakthrough stuff, first features as well. We were just talking about Charlotte Wells for After Sun, Emily the Criminal, who I uh John Patton Ford is the director. Yeah. That's his um, name. Yeah. yeah. The Inspection, which is the a movie we've already talked about several times. That's Elegance Bratton's debut debut film. Um Murina, who is I don't know who directed that. I can look it up real fast. Antonetta Alamat Krasianovich. And then Palm Trees and Power Lines, which is Jamie Dack. Um, yeah. I mean, I know that you haven't really, you only seen one of these movies, so you can really only say Emily the Criminal. But yeah, I mean, After Sun or The Inspection, for me, um, even even more so than Emily the Criminal. Yeah. I mean, again, I think I'm, people have told me that I'm going to go crazy for After Sun, so. Yeah, feels kind of wild that like After Sun. Sorry, you have again. You haven't seen the film. Feels kind of wild that After Sun's not in best first screenplay because I assume Charlotte Wells. It's also her first screenplay because she wrote the film. So I don't know yeah. what's going on there. Whatever. Um, in the screenplay, Fire category, Island was better apparently. <laughs> Joel Kim Booster, yeah, best first screenplay. Yeah. Um, but that's that. I guess the last thing to talk about quickly is is the screen is the screenplay category. You have Todd Field for Tar. Not surprising. A lot of overlap with the direct with the directors. Um, Koganata for After Yang, the Daniels for everything everywhere all at once, Sarah Polly for Women Talking. And then kind of the one odd woman out here, Elena Dunham does get nominated for the screenplay of Catherine Cold Birdie. Um disappointing that it wasn't Sharp Stick, but I guess this is probably the better film. <laughs> it's that definitely was pure the better film, Scott. But it is interesting to see the sort of recognition that this has is getting because it was also at the Gothams, right? Like it, it I believe so, yeah it snuck in there alongside like, yeah, all these other like sort of Oscar contender movies. So people are, are really high on that screenplay, which is, you know, it's a fine movie, but I don't guess I don't understand why it's getting this kind of recognition. I'm sure Amazon just paid them. I don't know. I'm just saying that yeah, it's not based on it. That's fair. <laughs> I have no idea. I mean, I haven't seen Catherine called birdie. I don't think that I will. It's a good um, movie. Oh, well, maybe I'll watch it. It's on Amazon, right? I just said it was an Amazon movie, so it must be on Amazon. Um, really insightful comment that I've made at the end of this podcast, which I think is probably a good time for us to wrap up. Any final thoughts on the Indie Spirit Awards? Uh, Bones and All didn't get nominated for Best Cinematography, which I do think is is uh, is kind of a crime because it's a beautiful movie to look at. Yeah. Florian Hoffmeister was nominated for Tar. Gregory L.K. for After Sun, which when you see After Sun, you're going to be, yeah, you'll understand why that was nominated for sure. Cinematography. But then Neptune Frost, Scott, Again, did not realize this film was was eligible for this year. That movie was at the New York Film Festival in 2021. So I, I just don't mm-hmm. understand at all. I guess it didn't get theatrically released, but that movie was was like one of the big like frontier. I forget what the different like sections are, but like first like for, like new director category. Um Pearl, Elliot Rocket for Pearl, Helene Louvart for Marina. Those are the nominations for cinematography. Like I mean, I kind of hope it's after Sun here, but uh, I mean Tar. It's hard to hate on Tar, I guess. Haven't seen Pearl yet either. So, would you say Pearl should win? I'm genuinely curious. Like, do you think? I I mean, I will support any and all, you Pearl know, love. flowers being being you know placed on Pearl. It's yeah. a, it's definitely very well shot. Yeah, I'm just looking at like notable omissions here just to see if I'm if I missed anything. Um, it was notable, I suppose, that the whale 
was not was completely shut out. Brendan Fraser not nominated. I don't think that's going to hurt his chances whatsoever at the Academy no. Awards. Uh, the voting bodies have zero overlap. Armageddon Time completely shut out. Um, Danielle Deadweiler for Till didn't receive a, non- a nomination. Um, and then people talking about my policeman not getting a nomination. <laughs> um, okay. Okay. Whatever. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Um, Harry Styles and Emma Corrin apparently didn't get nominated, which, you know, sure. If, if you say so. Um, but that's all I've got. Are we done? Anything else you want to say? No, I mean, again, great nominations on the whole. The Indie Spirit Award is usually where we look to for like, oh, man, we wish the, the moral Oscars compass more of like, cinema more like this. Yeah. And yeah. I'm sure we will be saying the same thing this year. All right. That should just about do it for episode 213 of Some Like It, Scott. Where can people find you on social media? I'm at Scarby Dan. I can be found at Shelton2013 on Twitter, Letterboxd, and Serialized. Don't forget to also check out our podcast, Patreon, at www.patreon.com slash mediaplugpods. If you can support us over there, we'd appreciate it. But if not, that's okay. You can still find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, etc., wherever else you listen to your podcasts, where we'd love it if you rated, reviewed, subscribed, shared, and all that jazz so we can continue to reach a broader audience. And we really appreciate all of you for taking time to listen to us chat about She Said and everything else that we talked about in the last 40 minutes because this podcast really ran long. We'll be back next week with a review of Steven Spielberg's newest movie, The Fablemans, the latest in a burgeoning subgenre of our tour filmmaker origin stories. We hope you'll join us for that next week. But until then, for Scott Harvey, I'm Scott Shelton. We'll see you next time.